Well, a huge welcome to all of you, uh, people who are here in Brighton, where I am right now, but also people who may be watching this in one of the other cities uh, where we are serving and partnering. It is a massive privilege to connect with a whole team of churches in these key cities in, in our age, in our day. And even during the setbacks of COVID and lockdown and all the frustrations and disappointments of that, we are committed to moving forward, establishing, strengthening and planting healthy churches in these cities. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we're pushing forward with. That's the very mission that Jesus has called us to. And so we're excited to obey him, confident that he will meet our needs as he's promised to, uh, that he will give everything uh, to provide for, for us as we push forward on his mission. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And to help us with that, uh, we're going to be looking at the story of two men. We're in the book of Genesis here at Emmanuel in Brighton. So if you're joining us from elsewhere, that's where you're catching us up. We're in Genesis chapter 13. And I want to look at the story of two men uh, whose response and attitude towards possessions is radically different towards one another. This mission Jesus has called us to involves big decisions with regard to, to money. We need to push forward on mission, but it requires resources. It requires all kinds of generosity and giving and support. And it requires faith. It requires a people like you and me who have seen that Jesus is worth giving to and Jesus can be trusted. And that's exactly what we see in the story of uh, one of these men here. So let's look right now at Genesis chapter 13 as it comes up on the screen and is read to us. So Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abraham said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separate from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, 
northwards and southwards, and eastwards and westwards, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. I tend to hesitate when I think of using the word faith. Um, it's just misunderstood all the time. It's, it's misapplied. It's, it's taken uh, wrongly. A caricature version of the word faith seems to have got into the, the kind of imagination of ordinary people. We see it as kind of resistance to truth. You know, I, I, I choose faith instead of truth. I, I, I choose to believe things that I pretend rather than the sheer obvious reality uh, that I'm rejecting. I'd rather be blind. I'd rather have faith. And, and there, are, I guess, are reasons why we, we see faith like this. Um, and in fact, some of them are kind of based on a, a, a sort of a, a, a strange misunderstanding of some of the things that the Bible does say. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for example, we walk by faith and not by sight, seeming to kind of set the two apart. There's, there's seeing things or there's faith. And, and we believers are those who walk by faith. And so we refuse to see, right? Is that what we mean? And maybe if we looked at this story, we, we see here Abraham, the man of faith, the, the kind of hero of, of faith. That's one of his, his great characteristics. It's kind of his, his, his calling card. It's, 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 it's Abraham. He's, he's the faith guy. And, and Lot in this story, is the one who looked around and saw. <laughs> it says right there in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. So there's Abraham who doesn't look and there's Lot who does. And, you know, the Bible commends the one who's not really looking, who's just kind of going around life like this, ignorant. But you, you need to step back from that and consider that perhaps there's, there's a more... Uh, far-reaching and richer and more rounded definition of faith uh, that the Bible as a whole offers us. And it's, it's definitely more healthy than that. If, if faith literally meant rejecting truth in order to embrace pretense and make-believe, I would not be a Christian. I would not want to be a believer along those lines. Uh, no, no, the, the believer is someone who has in fact seen something more it's not someone who's seen less it's someone who's seen more who's had a revelation who's seen something from God which has persuaded them inwardly to the point where they're prepared to take on all the other facts as well we're not rejecting truth but we see all of the truth in the light of the greater truth that kind of makes sense of the rest of the truth Actually, all the other facts and ideas, they kind of come together more clearly and more cogently to the person who has faith in Jesus. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you'll put your faith in the person who's behind it all anyway, in whom it all holds together. 
And that's what we see here in this story. A person who's going by what he's seen at the deepest level, something that he's, that's captivated him so fully that it's drawn out his ambitions, his desires, his longings, it's shaped his decisions. And somebody who's seeing just temporal things and seeing these temporal passing pleasures as all there is. That's all there is to life, just these passing moments and opportunities. That, that's all there is to life. That's what I see and that's what I'm going after. The question really is what do we see? What have we seen that's, that's captivated us? Abraham is someone who has not been blinded, but someone who has seen, seen richly, seen in a life-changing and glorious way. So let's, let's kind of look at these two separately, uh, one after the other. Let's look at Lot, first of all. Lot is uh, showing here a, an excitement about a certain opportunity for land. So they've got to this point where between them they need to make a decision. Uh, who's going to go in which direction? We can't stay together right now. Uh, there's me and there's my crew and there's you and there's your crew and it's, it's not quite working at the moment. So let's separate. And Lot chooses what looks suitable and attractive to him, what looks like a context for prospering. He thinks, OK, I know that that to me is easily the best option. That area down there, it's well watered, it's good land and it's near to the cities. And I, I'm attracted, I'm drawn to the appeal of those cities. They remind me of Egypt. Perhaps you know, uh, back in chapter 12, these guys have been down to Egypt. They've been exposed to the whole culture of Egypt, the life and the excitement of it, and the, the glamour of it has probably drawn Lot in quite a great deal. He, he's inspired, he's impassioned by it. And so if it looks like Egypt, I'm up for that. I want to go down there. I want to go to the good land, the good city. That's where I'm headed, Abraham. If you give me the choice, that's where I'm going. I've seen it and I'm going there. And it's, it's worth noting as well that this is off the back of some conflict that seems to have at least slightly emerged. There's, a, there's the beginnings of some conflict amongst their kind of entourage, respectively. Abraham's guys are not getting on well with Lot's guys and vice versa. So it's like there's, there's something that's crept into the community since they've been in Egypt. I suspect it may well be the fact that they've done well financially. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The love of money. And it seems to me as well that Lot, in this chapter at least, is, is at least partly inspired by that kind of love. He's drawn along. He's motivated and impassioned by the desire to accumulate wealth and prosperity. That is the key to his heart. It has gripped him. It has gripped him. And he's drawn, he's drawn, he's drawn. But he's drawn in a way that, in my opinion, makes him the one who's blind. He's walking away from Abraham. He's walking away from Canaan, the land that Abram has been promised. Abram is the one in the world at this time carrying the promises, the blessings, the presence of God. If there's anyone you want to be around at this time in human affairs... It's Abram. If I lived at this time, I hope I would be somewhere near Abram. Because in a strange way, different to today, the, the presence and blessing of God is wrapped up personally and geographically with one man and one place. 
And so you want to be with that man in that one place. But Lot says, nah, I'm fine. This is good enough for me. These possessions, this, this glamour, this culture, this wealth, that is really enough for me. He's not inspired and excited by Abraham and what Abraham's seen. In fact, it seems he's almost quite eager to get away. In spite of the fact, did you notice, the way it talks about the land that Lot's attracted to, it says it's like the garden of the Lord. It's well watered, the Jordan Valley, everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. But that phrase, the garden of the Lord, this is the book of of Genesis. You only have to go back a few pages to, to know what the writer is referring to. Paradise, Eden, the first human habitation, this, this perfect dwelling, this perfect garden where everything I need, everything I want, everything I desire and crave is laid on for me. How I would long, how I would love to live in a situation like that. We all dream of the kind of perfect place to get away to, the kind of escape, the kind of perfect holiday maybe, or the perfect home, or the perfect garden even, literally. Some kind of, of, of place of, of, of amusement, entertainment, and relaxation, and uh, pleasure, and delight, and all of these things. But Lot is prepared to imagine that he can live there without God. He can go into all the blessings of creation without the Creator. He's going away from Abram. He's going away from Canaan because he said, well, this this is where the blessings are down here. We so easily imagine that we know best where the blessings are to be found, where where we'll find the prosperity and the the pleasure that our soul craves. That we know, we know, we see see with our eyes. We understand, we make decisions based on good discernment and and quite apart from the, the spiritual questions and the, you know, is God in this? Is this something that, God speaks about? Does God have anything to say about this? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I know where to find Eden. (laughs) I certainly won't find it with Christians and church and Jesus. Some of you have been through periods of your life where you felt just like that. Maybe you're in that period right now. In spite of watching this, you're kind of, you've got this gut sense that, yeah, if there is life and pleasure to be found, it's nowhere near the God of the Bible. That seems to be the way Lot's prepared to go on this situation. But let's look at Abram as well for a moment. We've checked out a lot. Let's just see Abram's attitude and situation here. I want you to see, first of all, that Abram is not put upon in this chapter. Abram does this very noble thing. There's two options. You know, there's, there's, there's a necessity of, of dividing to, to bring peace between the two groups. Yeah, this is not going to go well. There seems to be strife building up in Lot. You're my nephew. You're my kinsman. I don't want to end up fighting with you. Gosh, that is not what I want. I do not want conflict with you. I'll tell you what, let's separate at least for a season. And, and you know, that may be the best thing just for now. But, but to make it easy, let me say you choose where. You, you, you get the first option. You choose which land to have. And I'll have the leftover. I'll have what, which you don't choose. That's... Supremely noble, isn't it? And generous and kind. It sounds like the sort of thing I tell my kids to do. It's the sort of thing I encourage. Good parents tell their kids to do that. When there's something uh, that both of them want, which one of you is going to be the selfless one? We, this is kind of a, a mantra in, <laughs> under our roof. 
Which one is going to be the selfless one? Which is, you know, it's, we shouldn't do it because it's basically, a, you know, permission to, it's encouragement to awful self-righteousness. Oh, I'll be the selfless one then. It's just so horrible. It just creates all kind of humbug in the house. And, and, and yet we do it because we know there's something good about that modest willingness to, to, to let the other person have better than me. And we know that's, that's what Jesus would do because, because it's good. You know, it's good. It's, it's somehow, isn't that what Jesus would do? I think it's what Jesus, I think it's what the, I think it's what God said. I think God, I think Jesus is utterly miserable. I think. I think that's the point, right? I think that when there's good and happy things to be got, I think God's attitude is, no, not for you. Because no, 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 no. Holiness is the opposite of goodness and, and, and you must be miserable and I want you to give all the, other people can have good. That's the kind of logic that we can find ourselves slipping into. And we encourage our kids even more to slip into it. I want you to know Abraham is not doing that. <laughs> he's not, his mum isn't there, all right? He's, he, Abraham is not being a Boy Scout. He's not thinking, wow, I really, really like the land down by the Jordan Valley. I really like it, but, but, but I'm a Christian. That's not, that's not it. Abraham is free. He's, he's, he's a completely robust, initiative-taking, confident man. Look at the, the whole attitude that he comes out with in this passage. He's the guy that starts the subject. He's the guy that brings up the idea. It's all his initiative. He's completely liberated, confident, secure. He, he's not being put upon. He's not being pressed into kind of Victorian moralistic behaviour by his scoutmaster. He's, he's gladly initiating a way forward, which he is delighted to do. He's joyfully giving. He's glad to give. That's fascinating to me. What you've got here is, is somebody with a slightly different spirit about him. And I've got to ask, where, where's he got that from? Where does, where's he grown this kind of strange attitude? Where's, where's Abram learned this? I've said that perhaps Lot has been influenced by spending time around Egypt and the culture and the wealth and the civilization and the sophistication of Egypt. It's kind of got under his skin. He's seen stuff. He's seen stuff that's captivated his imagination. That's what happens when you see stuff, right? <laughs> you, you see enough stuff in this world, it gets, it gets into you. It's hard to unsee some of it. Some of us are only know that too painfully. There's stuff that scars us, stuff that we've seen that's grabbed our imagination in unhelpful ways and sometimes painful ways and aggravating ways and ways that we wish we could let go of. Lot's been caught up, swept up with something he's seen in Egypt. What's Abram seen to make him behave so differently? What's got into him? You notice that we are changed by the things that we see, by the things that grab our imagination, by the the people to whom we get the most close, the people who inspire us, they change us. We don't always even notice it happening. Sometimes, again, in your family, your parents notice it before you do. If you're a parent, you notice you know, your kids start dressing a little differently and slightly different stuff on their walls and slightly different music. And, so, and you think, who have you been hanging around with? What, where did this come from? This is new. Different decisions, different, different stuff that they're interested in. It's, it's, it's the power of, of, of things that we aspire to, look up to, are drawn by to influence and shape us. But Abram here is showing this amazing 
generous heart. Freedom, gladly giving. Not, not out of miserable obligation, but out of joyful, bountiful gladness. It reminds me, obviously, of Jesus. That's who he's been with. That's who he's been with. In fact, he even talks about it earlier on in the chapter. You've got, you've got it, it talking about him coming back to the land, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Earlier in, in chapter 12, it talks about how the Lord appeared to Abram. What does that mean, the Lord appeared? I thought God was invisible. No one's seen God, the Bible says. Jesus, the one who is at the right hand of God, the, the word of God. It says in another place, the word of the Lord appeared to Abram. He's the one who makes God known. Jesus, God, appearing to Abram. Appearing to him, drawing near to him. What, what, what is this one who draws near to Abram like? He said himself, no one takes my life from me. I give it up of my own accord. For this reason, the Father loves me because I give up my life in obedience. Jesus, Jesus gladly gave. There was no stage in the journey where Jesus felt obliged in some miserable way. Jesus gave himself freely. Jesus gave himself joyfully for the joy that was set before him, the Bible says, he endured the cross, despising its shame. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is God's very nature. He is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, full of compassion. This is God. Abram's been getting time with God. He's been spending time with this, this strange person. <laughs> who seems to believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive. He seems to enjoy giving more. That's a weird person right there. And Abram's been just hanging out with him. He's been influenced by him. He's come home looking like him. <laughs> he's come home putting stuff on his walls. He's kind of, he's kind of just, inspired. he loves being around him. He's just, I love this guy. I'm really, I'm really, I, he just, I love the way he thinks. Who are you being shaped by? Who? Who's got your imagination? Who, who do you think, when you're making decisions, who do you think, I wonder what she would do? I wonder what he would do. Do you realise that, that, that there's, there's no one in the universe who comes close to being able to lift your imagination, to being able to change the way you think, to being able to inspire you to think and talk and act differently? And that's what this man here is discovering. And, and to his own pain, it would seem, he's saying, you can have that land, I'll have this land. You, you, you go east, I'll go west. Canaan apparently looks comparatively less lush at this point than, than the Jordan Valley. So Abram, in order to make peace, gives. It's my God all over. In order to make peace, with sinners, with wicked people, in order to make peace when there was conflict, in order to make peace when we turned away from him, when we hurt him, in order to make peace, he gave himself for us on the cross. In order to make peace when we were crucifying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
This is my God. This is his way. Abraham is thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth, learned more about the ways of Jesus than many of us do in our lifetime. He knows his way and he's starting to exude it. It's coming out of Abraham's decisions, coming out of his life. He he just kind of smells of God. And that's what brings this radical, crazy, risk-taking generosity. But look look where it goes. Don't, Don't move on from this story without looking at where it goes. It's, it's kind of sewn in. If you look carefully, there's irony in this story because Lot is going down to the lush, well-watered valley of the Jordan River where Sodom and Gomorrah, the great city is. Now, you only have to read the next couple of pages of the Bible to see where that's going to go. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about the Dead Sea. I've been there. I can tell you it's not, not very lush, right? It's well watered, but the water is kind of not very helpful. It's, it's, it's so salty, you can't even swim it. You float on the top. That's kind of fun, but it, it's, it's, it's not very good for life. It's the Dead Sea, the clues in the name. And the whole area is kind of marked, scarred by the judgment that God brought on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Even Lot's wife becomes a pillar of salt in the story. This guy who went, he, he was sure, he knew. I've seen, I know, the, 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 I know where to find prosperity. I know where to find pleasure. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've looked up. I've lifted up my eyes and seen the Jordan Valley. I've seen where to find pleasure. I've seen how to make money. I've seen how to make happiness. I've seen how to make life work. I've seen, I know, I know, I don't need Jesus. I don't need this world. I, need, I don't need to be generous. I've seen. Look where it got him. You see, God, God's... Wisdom throughout this book is, is so often so counterintuitive. It so often grates against our pattern of thinking that we are born into and grow into in this temporal age. And the wise one, the truly wise one, will often be the one who is making decisions that look almost clownish. Because actually Abram, not only has he chosen this land, but he's believing that his barren wife is going to give birth to a multitude. He's old, his wife is barren, he's going into the comparatively weak land. But what what does God say about Sarah, his wife? She will give birth. And she will give birth to a nation and nations. A multitude will come from you. All families of the world will be blessed by you. (laughs) And this land, this, what, what does God say about this land that, that Lot despised and ignored? What does God say about the land that Abram's left with, you know, after he's given to the gift day or the gift campaign? What, what am I left with? What, what do I get now? Well, God speaks. God makes promises. God says in Isaiah 51 verse 3, The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. You want to be filled with joy and gladness? Thanksgiving and the voice of song? Don't we long for that in these COVID days? The restoration of song and gladness and joy? We don't really find it easily, do we? We think we know so often, I tell you, Trusting, believing God, being dominated by what he shows you and learning to do what Abraham is told. After Lot's made his decision, what does God do? He comes alongside him and says, now, Abram, lift up your eyes. Abram, 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 
Lift up your eyes. Let me show you. I want to show you. Go up and down the land to the north, south, east, west. It's yours. I'm going to give you a multitude. I, I, you won't be able to count it. Try and count the dust. It'll be that hard to count the multitude. I'm going to do it, Abram. I'm going to do it. I'm going to. Trust me. I, I can't have kid. My wife's barren. This is a joke. This is ridiculous. Locked up the best land. I know it's crazy, isn't it, Abram? I know, isn't it crazy? But I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because that's what I do. That's what he does. That's why our friends on that video have made crazy decisions. I look at people like Janusz and Camilla. I think, you know, Janusz staying in, in England could have been making a lot of money, comfortable life, compared to going back to his homeland to start a church in, in a city that's new to him, actually. Comes from a different part of Poland. and Setting up to plant there <laughs> against all kinds of troubles, difficulties, both of them having to pick up jobs, working so hard during COVID. They're already gathering people. They're already seeing people come to Christ because they've seen something. They're captivated by something. You get people like... Kenny and Nicola, who in the middle of COVID, just how do you move your family in the middle of lockdown? But they go to Belfast anyway and they recruit a team. What nutters going with them to Belfast? Why would you do that? To go to Belfast. You know, the only reason it's in the news is for bad stuff, right? That's where we're going. We're going to the bad land. Yeah, we're going to go there because Jesus loves that place. Jesus always has. <laughs> Even the people that misunderstood Jesus, he loves them. And he wants to reach out to them. And we're going to go and we, we're going to commit. I think of Kenny. I think that guy, you know, I had the privilege of seeing him come to Christ in this room. I, I remember at the first half of the sermon, he, he wanted to punch me. <laughs> at the end of the sermon, he following Jesus. God, God, he saw something. He saw Jesus and his life's been changed ever since. And look, look at the decisions he's making. But you won't find people who have got more meaning to their lives, more purpose, more value, more joy, more laughter. And you get people like Malcolm and Megan <laughs> set up in Johannesburg. I know it sounds like a crazy city, to, but they were doing so well, leading a, a robust, flourishing church. And then suddenly God said, go back to England. What? Yeah, back to England. Go to Bath. What? And, and starting a church there, and quite often this last year in COVID, they've been thinking, what have we done? Tough to see. Yeah, faith decisions, you do sometimes question them. You do. If you give a lot of money... There might be moments afterwards where you think, what have I just done? Trust me, that will happen to some. And Malcolm went through that for months. What have I done? What, I, I could have been still. And he started teaching. He's, got, he's a good teacher in a school there, doing well. They offer him a promotion because he's a good teacher. More money, more responsibility, more authority. He's a strong leader. Yeah, you could move forward in that. This is, this is a new career for you. But he started to pray and he started to realise God saying, no, I didn't call you back to that kind of career. I called you to plant a church, I called you to reach out to this city with the love of Jesus. And he's done that. He's stuck out and he's going to go for it and plant the church. These, these are people who are crazy, right? They're crazy. No, they've seen more. It's not because they're blind. Faith is not like that. Faith is seeing. Seeing. And that's what we get to do. As we give, we get to say what we've seen. You might say, well, I don't know if I've got that kind of faith. How do I get that kind of faith? Well, do what Abram was told. He says, lift up your eyes. Lift up. You can't, you can't decide what's out there, but you can decide what you do with your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Look. Look to Jesus. Look to his promises. Look. Look to him. Start calling on him, speaking to him, looking at how good he is, how faithful and kind and merciful he is. Look at his plan for your life and see what he will do with it. Let's just pray right now. 
Father, we thank you for this story. Thank you for what it reminds us of, that you are more than able, Lord God, to turn circumstances. (laughs) And when we look like we've made a, a crazy decision, we find that you are, Lord, more than enough. You supply our needs. We trust you. We say, Lord, we want to anticipate the direction of history that you're taking it in. We don't see it with our eyes right now, but we do see it with the eyes of our hearts. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Even cities like Krakow, Belfast, Bath, Berlin, Amsterdam, Ottawa, London, Brighton will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So we trust you. We choose obedience and we give wholeheartedly to what you're doing. Amen.